0: we begin, I want us to read this last line one more time. Gracious Spirit, dwell with me. I would be like Thee. Dear friends, is that your prayer? Let's make it our prayer this morning, shall we? Let's pray. Gracious Spirit, dwell with me. That I would be like Thee. Gracious Spirit, dwell with us. That we would truly exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Gracious Spirit, dwell with us, and may we know the power of the gospel in this moment. In your Son's name we pray, amen. Dear friends, if you would turn in your Bibles as I get settled uh, to Second Peter 1, 1 through 11. And this is the passage that we'll be dealing with for a few minutes this morning. And this is a, to, to be quite honest about it, when I was assigned this passage, uh, I was thrilled. Um, I, I never know if you're supposed to have favorite passages of scripture or not, but this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. I ran down to Sean's office and went, thank you. (laughs) 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his very, excuse me, granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with goodness and goodness with brotherly love and brotherly love, excuse me, brotherly affection with love. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall away. For in this way, there will be, um, back up, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear friends, as we begin this passage this morning, uh, I'm going to ask you the question, and the question is, is a rather simple one. Do you believe that people change? Because I think it's fair to say that in light of the gospel and Jesus living within us, change is the order of the day now you've heard it said in times past that a leopard cannot change its spots or you've heard it said in times past well he's just a chip off the same old block um, and that person will never change and I want you to know that when a when a man or woman comes to Christ they go through a fundamental change prior to that relationship with Christ they have a DNA in in their sinful nature where they, they may or may not recognize their sin, but the reality is true for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we recognize that sin is transgression of the law of God. When we sin, we do the stupid thing because we're cutting against the very reason for which we were designed. But there comes a point for many of us in this room this morning where we have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as the result of this reality, we have gone through a fundamental DNA shift. We have a new principle within us and that principle is the principle of the gospel. It is the principle of Jesus. And we have come to recognize that the gospel is not given to us That we might become better people. We're not going to become better people. We're going to become new creations. Reminded of Galatians 2. For I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body. I now live by faith in the son of God. Who gave himself for me. And so there begins to be a, a new principle in our lives. And I think Jack Miller said it best, cheer up, you're worse than you think. But cheer up, the gospel of God is greater than we ever dared imagine. But I'm speaking to believers this morning. Is there fundamental change in your life? Do you sense and see that your life is beginning to look more and more like Jesus? Or do you find yourself in in the dark of night when you're all by yourself and you begin to realize anew and afresh that your addictions have a grip on you? It's like a vice grip that you cannot change. Or when times of distress and fear, you allow your emotions to control your reactions to certain events. And you shift out of faith and belief into worry, anger, distrust, and impatience. Or you get fearful and your, your self-esteem is at rock bottom. And you we revert to gossip, backbiting, and devouring. Dear friends, I want you to know, it's true of all of us. All of us struggle with our sinful nature. All of us struggle with a longing to become more and more like Jesus. And Paul's statement has become our statement. The very thing that we do is the thing that I don't want to do, and the thing that I don't want to do is the thing that I do. Right? What Jack Miller said was right. Cheer up, you're worse than you think. And if you really want the gospel to, to sink deeply into your soul, your soul and your bones, you must begin to realize how sinful we are. And when we go there, the promise of the gospel is that we'll begin to realize the gospel of God is greater than we ever dared imagine. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not called to practice a religion. We're called to be spiritual. We're called to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we've read in this passage, and we'll deal with for a few moments this morning, we are actually called to be partakers of the divine nature. And how are we partakers of the divine nature? We partakers of the divine natures as we hold on to and claim the precious and very great promises of God. Here's my challenge for you. If you will take the time to examine and read and meditate and think through these very great promises of God that will become so very precious for you, you'll discover something. As you begin to understand those promises, those promises have actually, through sovereign grace, already taken hold of your life. And those promises are doing a phenomenal work in your life two points this morning the flow of the promise the second point make every effort the first point is longer the second point is shorter let's read this again in verse three and four his divine promise excuse me his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us To his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escape from the corruption that is in the world. Because of our sinful desire. Notice this phrase. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I want you to first of all begin to understand that we have a Father in Heaven who has personally taken the initiative and His infinite power to begin a complete work within us whereby more and more we're beginning to look like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and we're fundamentally beginning to look less like the world. This is the definition of that big seminary word called sanctification. And I want you to note, and I think oftentimes we fail to understand this, that the same power that you have in your life is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that the Lord has given this this power to us to enable us to fruitful works. We actually have within us the ability, the God-given, grace-driven ability to love the unlovely. We have the ability not to gossip when we really want to because there's a need in our lives to make ourselves look better. We actually have a power within us where we can move into the lives of our children and we can move into the lives of our work associates and we can show to them through word and deed The glory of Jesus that lives within us, as well as his excellence that lives within us. We'll get to that in just a moment. And before I move forward, I want to remind you, I'm not talking in the superlative today. I'm talking in light of the promises today. And yes, we don't do these things perfectly. But as I always say to you, through the work of the Holy Spirit and sovereign grace, we actually can do these things powerfully. So his divine power has entered into our lives and granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, this word granted appears in verse 3 and it appears in verse 4. And the verb sense is this. It's it's a granted. It's something that has happened in the past and it continues in the present. And there's a a granting that will continue in the future. In other words... The promises of God are the promise of eternal life, but the promises of God literally are the gifts that keep on giving. And the promise here is His divine power has entered into our lives. His divine power has granted everything that we need for life and godliness. You already have this in a very real sense through our knowledge of Him, Through our knowledge of Jesus. If there's anything I want to do today, I want to make the name of Jesus famous today. (laughs) I want Jesus to resonate in your life and in your heart in a way that maybe he hasn't resonated for months or years. Because the ultimate promise of the gospel is that Jesus now lives within us And through the work of sovereign grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, we're actually beginning to look like our Savior. Is that not a remarkable truth? And I want you to notice what he says. Through our knowledge of him, I'm still on verse 3, who called us to his own glory and excellence. Have you ever considered what glory is? Glory is the magnificence, the worth, and the loveliness and grandeur of all of God's perfections. And it continues, and it says this, God communicates his glory through creation, image bearers, providence, and and, uh, redemptive acts. And that God receives glory when His people give to Him the glory. And God will always unite His people to the person of Jesus because God wants to share His glory within us. A startling fact. You have, if you're a believer this morning, you have glory within you. If you have if you are a believer this morning you have excellence within you but it's not your excellence it's his excellence and it's not your glory nor for your glory it is his glory for the sake of his glory and this is who we are in Christ and i think so often we readily so we so easily forget that reality and it's incumbent upon us to recognize as adrian rogers once said to recognize who you are and whose you are can i read this for you one more time his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, he called us to his own glory and excellence. And then in verse 4, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. In verse 4, there's that word granted. Granted. You have been granted these promises. It's a promise made in the past. It's a promise for the present that it is also a promise that moves into the future. And I want you to realize these are precious and very great promises. Precious. The preciousness of a stone that is invaluable. That you hold that stone in the palm of your hand and you recognize this is something of. Of, eternal, of, of ultimate, ultimate value. What are those things that you count as most precious in your life? And whatever those things are that you count as most precious, there's something that is still more precious in this life, and that is the pres- the nature, the precious nature of the promises of God. But it continues, and he says precious and very great promises. I want you to realize that probably there's a better word here than very great promises. And the word is magnificent, magnitos. That these words, that these promises are precious promises. They are magnificent promises. I want you to stop and think for a moment. When in the moments of your life Have you experienced something that was truly magnificent? You see the face of your first child for the very first time, red and wrinkly, but beautiful and magnificent. You see the face of that first grandchild, or in my case, two faces of those grandchildren. And you see just how beautiful and glorious they are. They are magnificent. I remember there was a day in time when I was on active duty in southern Germany and Sally and I went to the Eagle's Nest. We arrived at the Eagle's Nest late one night. It was after sunset. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. It was so very dark. And we were led up the mountain to this little cabin where we were staying. And we woke up the next morning and I wanted to get my bearings. I wanted to understand where I was. I, I, I had come here all this way to see the Alps. And I went over to the window. And I threw open the drapes. And beloved, it, it, the, the view was stunning. It, it, I backed up at least one step because there before me was the magnificence of the Swiss Alps. I had never seen anything like it ever before. It was truly beautiful. Dear friends, that's these promises. These promises are precious. These promises are magnificent. Because what do these promises, where do these promises lead us? They lead us to understand that we are partakers of the divine nature. I got a big envelope the other day, and it was my new passport. And I love having an active passport because I love travel and I love seeing God everywhere around this world. These precious and very great promises, these precious and magnificent promises are your passport to understand that you are a partaker in the divine nature. A partaker, a sharer. A partaker, you are taking on the image of God. We, we, of, and we are partakers of the divine nature. That does not mean that you become God. That does not mean you become like God. What that means is that you are beginning to reflect his glory. You are being, we are being image bearers and we are taking on in that sense the divine. What do I mean by that? We love because his divine love has been poured into our lives. We are beginning to reflect his glory. We're not God. We're not like God, but we are reflectors of his glory. We are partakers of the divine nature. And when my mind contemplates that and considers that truth... It's just like my mind wants to shut down. How do I even begin to ever comprehend that truth? And yet, as we contemplate this, we begin to realize not only to what Jesus has called us into, but we recognize the power and the the enabling grace that he provides for us because we're not just becoming a better self, we are becoming a new creation that is manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And we no longer look like the world in our use of language. We no longer look in the world like the world in our use of drink. We no longer look like the world in our use of fear and insecurity. We are actually beginning to look like the Savior that we love. And as Jesus says, my food is to, do, is to do the will of the Father. That begins to be our prayer as well. Our food is to do the will of our Father. C.S. Lewis put it this way. It seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with money, sex, and power. When infinite joy is offered to us like an an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. And C.S. Lewis says, We are far too easily pleased. And our earthly desires are just too strong. Would you, in these moments, recognize anew and afresh that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us to His glory and excellence? By which He has granted to us His very great and precious promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature. You see the promises, the flow of the promises. But then secondly, and this will be shorter, I want you to recognize the need to make every effort. Notice what He says in verse five for this reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love beloved this is a list that's akin to the fruit of the spirit this is not a list that is like a Morrison's cafeteria line that we can go down and take whatever we want. Actually, this list um, denotes for us is the, the desirable character qualities of a Christian. This is what life looks like in the spirit. And notice what he says, for this reason, everything that's been said, make every effort to supplement your faith. That word supplement means to invest. Uh, there's businessmen in the room this morning. You have made a financial investment in a, in a company, in an industry, in a product that you hope to gain a good return on, a good return on investment, ROI. This word investment has the same concept that we are to invest our lives in the scriptures. Scriptures. We're to to read the promises of God. We're to glean the promises of God. We're to harvest the promises of God into our very life because there is an expectation not of an ROI, but an SROI, a spiritual return on investment. I want to encourage you, every day, take the time to invest Take the time to read. Take the time to know these promises. Take these promises with you into your life, expecting God to fulfill these promises over the course of your life. Notice what he says. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. What is faith? Hebrews 11 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. A friend of mine in New York said, Faith is coming to Jesus to receive from Jesus only that which Jesus can give, period. That's what faith is. And beloved, we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God and faith in Jesus. And we know that we have real faith when faith attaches itself to an object. We have faith in Jesus, faith in his gospel, faith in his promises. Saving faith will always attach itself to a reality, to a promise, and fundamentally to the person of Jesus. But notice what else he says supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue is the excellence of who God is, it is his holiness and only God is the one who has perfection and virtue you recognize the greatest gift that we have ever received in this life is that the day that we came to saving faith in Jesus according to second Corinthians you have been given the robes of Jesus you have been given his very righteousness his righteousness covers us from head to toe. And what is this righteousness of Christ? What is this righteousness that you already have? It is the moral integrity of Christ in your life in this moment. It is the basis of your salvation. It is the basis of that our sins are forgiven all because of what Jesus has done for us. And as we understand this remarkable gift of righteousness that the, that the Lord has provided to us, then we move out into life expecting, remember, faith always attaches itself. We move into life expecting God to do his in-working with it within us. Do you want to stay the same? Because if you do, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you a believer? What believer wants to stay the same? It was said in 1 Peter 1, Be holy as I am holy. We are called to holiness. We're called to righteousness. We're not called to live like the world. We're called to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, speak like Jesus, minister like Jesus. And to begin to look like Jesus. You see, we add to our faith virtue and then to virtue knowledge. This word knowledge is epinosis. Uh, it's, It's the concept of knowledge that leads to a personal understanding of the subject. Do you think Judas had a knowledge of who Jesus is? He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He ate meals with Jesus. He saw Jesus do a lot of miracles. But do you think Judas had a relationship with Jesus? No. Do you think Peter had a relationship with Jesus? Yes. Did he betray his friend? Yes. But in Matthew 16, did he not say, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God? And in, in at the end of John, in that Post resurrection, pre ascension moment where Jesus is forgiving Peter for all that he he had done, did Peter not say, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you? Dear friends, is that your prayer today? Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. I don't want to know just about you, I don't want to know the data. I don't want just the data points. I want you in all of your righteousness and in all of your holiness. I want you and I want my life, words, actions, thoughts, to reflect all that you are. You see, we supplement our faith with virtue, our virtue with knowledge, our knowledge with self-control, Jerry Bridges said this, the key to spirituality is control of self through the work and means of the Holy Spirit. Self-control leads to steadfastness. What is steadfastness? It's not pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, It is realizing that when the difficult things become very difficult, you are standing on the promises of God and you are expecting God to work to the good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And you're standing on the promises of God and you are acknowledging you are the God who knows how to give good and gracious gifts to your children. You're standing on the promises of God in the midst of those difficult situations and you are saying, you are my father and this is my focus. And I will no longer believe the lies of the evil one. Is this you? Is this me? And it it presses on with... Faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, living before the face of God, Do, that we want to live before the face of God. And finally, we come because of our godliness, now there's brotherly affection, and because of brotherly affection, now there's love, and guess what? Imperfectly, but powerfully, as you have loved with the divine love, now you're you're endeavoring, you're hoping, you're longing to love others in the same way that you have been loved. Do you wanna know if you're a believer today? I'm not speaking legalistically, I'm not speaking self-righteously, uh, I am speaking biblically and theologically. Do you want to know if you're a believer today? Let's talk about how do you love people? How do you love Jesus? How do you love the unlovely? How do you love the difficult? Because isn't that what the Lord Jesus has done for us? He has loved us when we were ever so unlovely. He has loved us when we were ever so difficult. And he has loved us for the intrinsic value of who we are because he made us in his image. And he has loved us sacrificially. And he has loved us completely. Because he is a savior that has a purpose and a destiny for us. And love as well as virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affections, This, this is the highway that God has us on because we have the power of God within us. We do this imperfectly, but we can do this powerfully And over the course of our lifetime, we will begin to see sin being put to death, not completely. But sin will begin to die off, not completely. And we will begin to look more like Jesus, ever so more like Jesus, not perfectly. But our friends, when they come in contact with us, either in the present moments, or in the days to come. They will see the glory of Jesus living within us. And they will see his excellence. And beloved, that's the very thing that the Lord has called us to. You see, there is a flow of the promise. But there is also make every effort to supplement. Closing comment. Belief is hard work because you have to put self to death. You have to decide life in Jesus is more important than life in my own sinful, selfish desires. I want to put my life to death. I want to kill sin. I want to mortify sin in my life because I love Jesus enough To begin to resemble him. Your assignment. Over the course of the next several days. Is this. Jesus has loved you. Utterly. And he has provided for you. Completely. Now will you love him. Utterly. Will you pray that he would be so that he would so saturate your life that your life would become a living sacrifice for him let's pray shall we father we come in this moment and to be very honest about it lord The things that we've spoken of today, we want to see these things increasing in our lives. We want to be effective and we want to be fruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we want to live in such a way that we are actually confirming your calling and your election in our lives may we put ourselves to death and may we come alive to Jesus and his in working in us to his glory to his excellence in your son's name we pray